Today's episode will kick off a 12-part series in which I'll be reviewing the book Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. I've never done anything like this before. I really have no idea what it will be like, how it'll go, but I'm excited to try something new and something that's really focused, which is out of the norm for me. I really want to impress upon new listeners that I'm not a journalist or an author, and this isn't a research-based podcast, though research will be used at times to inform my opinion. This episode doesn't contain adult language, so it's appropriate for families. Hi, I'm Jen, and this is Talking in Bed, the podcast where I discuss niche interests, burning questions, movies, TV shows, foreign languages, and other sundry topics. If you like unfocused, opinion-based shows, then stick around. I want to cover some basic background info on the book we'll be discussing and my own personal connection to it. Um, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, typically shortened to Alice in Wonderland, is an 1865 novel by English author Lewis Carroll. The pseudonym of Charles Ludwig Dodgson, Lewis Carroll is the anglicized Latinized and inverted version of Charles Ludwig, Ludwig coming from German and Charles into the Latin Carolus. <laughs> so he is um, somebody who really likes wordplay. Um, the entire print run sold out quickly. Alice was a publishing sensation, was beloved by children and adults. Um, some of its first avid readers were Queen Victoria herself and the young Oscar Wilde. The book has never been out of print. It has been translated into at least 97 languages or as many as 174 languages. And there have now been over 100 editions of the book as well as countless adaptations in other media, especially theater and film. Whenever I think about the Alice universe, I think about how iconic the imagery from it is. Teacups, teapots, top hats, uh, white rabbits, Cheshire cat, queen of hearts, croquet, pocket watches, caterpillars, mushrooms. The phrase down the rabbit hole is still used in common conversation. Like you might say, I fell down a YouTube rabbit hole last night. And you probably use that phrase without even thinking about where it came from. You know, people weren't commonly falling down rabbit holes to the point that it became a catchphrase for embarking on an unexpected journey. Um, the uh, the use of the white rabbit in The Matrix. Uh, those things are often directly associated with this book, which is partly thanks to its many reproductions and adaptations. It's always stayed um, somewhat fresh in people's minds as a beloved children's story. The really amazing thing about rereading the first chapter is that I realized how easily adaptable it is to film and stage. Um, it's really formatted, at least from what I, you know, I haven't reread the book in a long time. So even though I know the story well, I'm kind of going in somewhat with fresh eyes. I'll know it once I get there, but I couldn't necessarily tell you the uh, the order of events uh you know like I don't have it imprinted in my memory that super clearly 
Um, but it's formatted in such a way that it can easily be interpreted by others into other creative works. And one of my favorite things over the years of being an Alice fan has been seeing how creative and abstract um, people can interpret the scenes from this book, like plays, movies, music, Jefferson Airplane, video games, comic books. I've even played a mobile solitaire game that was just sort of set in the world. Um, and amongst its international translated publications, I've read things that have said that elements of the story, some of the dialogue gets adjusted to make more sense in the culture that is reading that particular language, which I found really interesting that you could <laughs> that you could change kind of what the Queen of Hearts might say or what the Mad Hatter might say be, just to make it make more sense for the reader of that particular language. Um, I think for most people, their main connection to Alice in Wonderland adaptations are the 1951 animated film movie from Disney and or the 2010 Tim Burton travesty. Now, if you know, if you connect it more with the animated 50s movies, you're welcomed here with open arms. If you're more familiar with the Burton <laughs> trash pile, you are still welcome here, but I'm going to ask you to sit down and listen closely without being defensive because I don't like that movie. <laughs> um, during the summer of 1998, I was 12 and there was like some talk about me potentially babysitting for the kids of a coworker of my dad's. And in order to prepare for that, I thought I should watch some kids movies that I would like maybe watch movies with the kids. And I don't know if I had seen Alice in Wonderland before or maybe I had just been a weird kid long enough by that point that the movie just connected with me on a different level. But as soon as I saw it that summer, it, it took over. That was the summer. I loved the animation, the music, the characters. I don't even remember if I even ended up babysitting, but I did like acquire a box of colorful wires from an uncle who worked as an electrician. So I sat in the basement and like twisted wire into braids and shapes and I watched this movie like on repeat and getting fixated on a movie that was like nothing unusual for me when I was five it was The Little Mermaid and when I was 13 it was Stand By Me but Alice um, that was a story that just really spoke to me on a soul level and then I read the book and what I found was a couple of things. I found an adventure story or like an odyssey story with a girl protagonist, which just going off my gut assessment, gut feeling is not as common as male protagonists. Um, it was an introduction to the world of Victorian England. The main character was a curious and forgetful girl who didn't understand anything going on in the world around her. It was a really uniquely creative writing style with like 
humorous asides to the reader through the use of parenthetical commentary and scenes written in such a way that um, really engaged my mind to build the world of Wonderland in my head. And maybe that's why Wonderland is still so meaningful for me. I got to create a world in my mind that would look slightly different from the way you would imagine Wonderland. And I suppose that's true of any book, but I promise you that no other character's journey spoke to my little ADD mind the way that Alice did. So now we've got the book's background, my own background out of the way. Let's jump into chapter one, down the rabbit hole. So I don't have any context for Victorian English children's literature. I don't know what the generally accepted standard was and what children back then liked reading. But as we've established, Alice broke the mold. This chapter consists of three simply constructed scenes that follow transitions so smooth that you don't even realize that the action is moving along. You're just, you're just going through the experience with Alice. Um, we start off sitting at the edge of a river with Alice and her older sister. It's a hot summer day. Alice is bored and tired. I'm going to say Alice a lot, just <laughs> FYI. Alice is bored and tired and her sister is reading like a grown-up book. It doesn't have any pictures or conversations in it. She, uh, Alice sees a white rabbit talking to itself and decides to follow it down a rabbit hole. She goes down the rabbit hole for quite a while. And this is the scene where we really get to know Alice as a person. She's adventurous, but not in a brassy way, more in an oblivious way. She wants to be polite, but her curiosity usually gets in the way of that. Then she lands, and we follow Alice into the Hall of Doors. This is another longer scene that, like the concept of the rabbit hole, it provides us with iconic concepts and imagery. She drinks from a bottle with the tag, drink me, and eats a cake with the words, eat me, written on it. Two things that you've almost certainly experienced at least once in your life at a party of some sort. Um, the drink and cake also introduce a theme throughout the book that Alice's size will change suddenly based on her interaction with the world around her. After she eats the cake, the chapter ends. So that's kind of our, that's the three scenes. Sitting by the bank, falling down the hole, in the hall of doors. Um, I'm not going to go through and pick apart, you know, line by line what she says at this point. That to me is not as interesting as talking about what I can take away from the chapter and how it informs my understanding of the character and what is to come in the book. So if you haven't read the book, there's a reading at the end of this episode if you have, it's maybe a refresher for you. In terms of writing, this book doesn't waste any time getting us into the action. And I really can't thank Lewis Carroll enough for that because like how many times have you read a book that literally takes so long to get to the action? And in this one, it's three paragraphs and then she's down the rabbit hole, which is like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> 
Um, <clears throat> so I made this, you know, projecting. <laughs> I projected myself into this and I, I made this really interesting connection with um, Alice's experience and being an expat. Uh, so we don't really know what kind of girl Alice is above ground in England. She might be a quiet girl, a girl who misbehaves. She might be shy. She might be loud. We don't really know, but we get the impression that she's probably nice, outgoing, and imaginative. Maybe she has a little bit of a listening and a memory problem. Um, because we get such a quick glimpse of her in England we really only know her in the context of her discovery of Wonderland and how she reacts to the crazy characters she meets. So here, the characters and people she meets are the complete antithesis to what I guess Victorian English mores were. They're not polite or friendly. They're not good-natured and helpful. They're brash. They're rude. They're accusatory. They're strange. They're not at all like the people she knows at home. So she finds herself often being like annoyed and miffed by their behavior exactly because it isn't what she's used to. Um, at least in this chapter, we don't know if Alice is annoyed by, you know, my concept of like a, the stiff upper lip, emotionally repressed English people. And... You know, she's a child, so it's not like she was looking for a way out. But it, that just that scenario um, describes the expat experience. You live your life annoyed by the people around you for being who they are culturally. Then you go somewhere else and you're annoyed because these new people aren't acting like the people you grew up around and they don't say anything right and they don't just speak normal English. That all feels like a tangent that maybe could have been saved for another chapter. But honestly, we're getting to know Alice. And I think we're all familiar with, you know, even if you haven't seen the, the movie, we're familiar with the concept that the book is about a little girl who gets annoyed with monsters or just as often, and this is also true for expats, is a nuisance to the monsters, whatever the creatures in Wonderland. Um, one of the things that really struck me on this reading is that each scene is very clear cut, but not lavishly described. And I think that has lent itself to film and stage adaptations. We don't even spend one paragraph getting an in-depth um, visual description. So nowhere in the first chapter does Carol describe what Alice looks like or what she's wearing. He doesn't describe the way her body looks as she was falling. He gives some vague descriptions of the rabbit hole and the hall of doors and the garden Alice sees through the little door she finds and unlocks. But it's really talked about in such a way that your mind comes up with its own concept of what those things look like. Um, so in the rabbit hole... He says, there are maps and pictures on the sides of, he calls it a well. There are maps and pictures on the sides of the well. But he doesn't say what the maps and pictures are of. He doesn't say whether the hall of doors is brightly lit or what color the hallway rug is or what the walls look like or if the, if the hallway smells like anything. 
it's just a hall with doors and lamps up near the ceiling. That's the only information that you get and that the small door that she finds is behind a little curtain. So I really feel like Carol gives us um, some tools and materials and then lets us build the scene for ourselves. Um, I was really, I hate to say it was struck again, but as I was reading it and I was thinking about how I would feel if I was falling down a hole or like stuck in a hall, it dawned on me that Alice is like very unpanicked. She's very present in the world that she falls into. I could see people critiquing it and saying she accepts it a little too easily. Um, you know, she's falling down this well for a long time. There is not a single note of anxiety, except that she's concerned that if she comes out on the other end of the earth, people will think she's ignorant for not knowing if she's in New Zealand or Australia. Uh, or she, she picks up a jar of marmalade from a shelf as she's going by. She doesn't want to drop it because she thinks she might kill somebody. So she puts it on another shelf. But it's like a very unworried kind of, you know, she's not thinking, oh, there are other people. She's, oh, maybe I'll kill someone. So she puts it on the shelf. Or uh, she realizes that uh, she's thinking about her cat, Dinah. And she's wondering if anyone will remember to give the cat milk for dinner. Those are her biggest fears during the fall, not whether she'll die if she hits the ground or even if there's water at the bottom of the well. And when she realizes that there is no way out of the hall of doors, she doesn't have a panic attack like I would. She just starts to cry and then immediately tells herself there's no use in crying. I think this makes Alice come off as being kind of a fearless heroine and a feminist icon I do think she's quite independent in terms of how she thinks about her role in the world. Um, we read that she likes to play games with herself while pretending to be two different people. I think we've all experienced that in our childhood. Maybe not. Or yeah, maybe pretending to be two people, maybe not. But having an imaginary friend or even just feeling like your stuffed animal has a real personality that you're interacting with. Um, I don't think we ever learn Alice's age in the book. Some people say seven, which seems a little young to me. I'd say she's closer in the range of eight to ten. She's creative. She's in that part of her childhood where she's very imaginative and her um, imaginary world is very real for her. So while I don't want to squash any of those lovely ideas. I don't think it's totally accurate. Alice is oblivious. She doesn't think ahead at all. For example, she jumped down a rabbit hole without even saying anything to her sister. She has no concerns about what could happen at the bottom of the well. Uh, then when she, <clears throat> she tries the drink, the drink me drink, it makes her grow smaller Instead of drinking some of it and saving the rest, she drinks the whole thing in one go and then runs over to the little door, but realizes that she left the key to the door on the glass table, by the way, the, the table, the key, the drink, and the cake all appear like magic out of nowhere. 
So when she realizes the key is on the table and she's too tiny to get it, she sits down and cries. Then she, the cake appears. She eats the whole thing, saying to herself, if it makes me grow taller, I'll get the key. And if it makes me grow smaller, I'll crawl under the door. Either way, I'll get into the garden. And I was like, girl, how are you going to get through the tiny door if you drank all the shrinking potion? <laughs> um, you, you could attribute those things to poor writing <clears throat> or to the dream state that this is all happening in. But I think it speaks more to Alice's personality. She lives in the moment, in Wonderland at least, and takes each moment as something to be experienced. So more than being fearless of her good qualities, Alice is just like staunchly undaunted by her circumstances. She accepts on a deep level that she'll have to problem solve her way through each scenario and she learns really quickly that the unpredictable nature of the world she's in will have advantages and disadvantages to helping her navigate through each new scenario. It's almost like she's doing a cold run through without reading anything and is learning the rules as she goes. And actually, we're learning the rules as well. And because she's not scared by anything she encounters, neither are we. It doesn't feel threatening. Um, but the, the whole problem solving element, it really feels like a video game to me. And it's amazing to me that somebody in, let's say 1864, I think 1863, uh, came up with this story that had these problem solving aspects to it. Uh, and that was just at the dawn of photography, which Carol actually loved photography and, as I'm saying that, he was a mathematician. So he would have liked solving problems. And I think that that comes into play. He had a way of creatively interpreting the things that he loved into this work and other works that he kind of created within this world. Um, something I think is easy to overlook in this book, or maybe it's just because of my kind of close familiarity with it which I fully acknowledge here and now that that could be a real hindrance in my review of the book um something that you can overlook is that Alice is just like a very likable character she's sweet and funny and odd she talks to herself and it's easy to see that even though she's a flawed person she she always means well she doesn't intend to hurt others but she manages to make faux pas all the way throughout her journey and ends up you know <laughs> angering these characters who are also unpredictable like you know food is unpredictable in wonderland the characters are completely unpredictable to her so if they get angry she doesn't really know what could happen um but she always holds herself accountable for her mistakes and again I mean that connects significantly to the expat experience you know making faux pas and and then really well it, I made somebody mad doing that 
she's a fully realized character, not like a, a Pollyanna who gets everything right. She's not a total idiot. And she's definitely not just this, um, you know, I was really trying to think of a word for this, like an every man character who serves as our entry point into seeing ourselves in this world. She's a very realistic character to, to me as a child. I really felt this is not, this is a realistic character, you know? Um, <clears throat> this chapter starts the book off really strong, gives us a very clear concept of what's going to happen. Alice will deal with things as they come up. She'll change sizes and magical things will happen. Critique, from a modern perspective, is that the magic, they don't call it magic in the book, but that's basically what it is. The magic in the book is, um, it's what's called a soft magic system meaning that there aren't any hard-set, clearly defined rules of how magic works. It lacks a precise set of guidelines that regulate magical use in the fictional world. The counterpart is a hard magic system where there is a set of very strict established laws that regulate how magic is used and produced within the fictional universe. The soft magic system in this book could easily be seen as kind of like a deus ex machina plot device where like an unsolvable problem is resolved in an unlikely and unexpected way, otherwise known as a cop-out. <laughs> um, but I think the soft magic here is used, I think it's acceptable how it's used because while a magically appearing drink or cake have the potential to solve Alice's situation instantly, Alice's interaction with the items and the people often create a bigger or smaller or just different set of problems that she has to solve. Magic here is really a vehicle to help Alice's, to help develop Alice's character and her journey through Wonderland, depending on how she uses it, it's not being used, <clears throat> like magic is not being used to push her forcefully into the next scene. She has to problem solve her way through the scene. Uh, she still has to make a choice each time she encounters a new food item or an odd character. So this is really about the choices Alice makes and the consequences of each choice. Going into this book, I feel like I'm getting a really good sense of Alice as a little girl who doesn't think ahead. And I'm curious if we'll see development in her choices and thinking by the end of the book, if we'll see her kind of grow a little bit as, as a character, as a child, you know, just thinking differently by the end. Um, and lastly... Carol's use of his own voice as the narrator is important here. Again, I don't know if this was typical for children's books of the time period, but he's always piping up with parenthetical asides to make like a sarcastic comment or provide additional information, at least in this chapter. It reminds me of Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events Although the narrator, author in that series is much more involved, Carol's really just telling us 
a story uh, and letting us be aware of his presence, but without distracting from Alice's journey. Okay, that's been the first chapter of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. This was really fun for me, and I hope you'll check back for chapter two. I'll do my best to upload once a week, but don't take me at my word. Don't hold me at my word. Um, because this book is within the public domain, that means I can do a reading of it, which I mentioned earlier. So if you want to stick around and listen to chapter one, it's coming up in a moment. It's only 13 minutes long. I am not a professional reader, but I, I think it came out okay. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Bye. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll Chapter 1 Down the Rabbit Hole Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and of having nothing to do. Once or twice she had peeped into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book, thought Alice, without pictures or conversations? So she was considering in her own mind, as well as she could, for the hot day made her feel very sleepy and stupid, whether the pleasure of making a daisy chain would be worth the trouble of getting up and picking the daisies when suddenly a white rabbit with pink eyes ran close by her. There was nothing so very remarkable in that. Nor did Alice think it so very much out of the way to hear the rabbit say to itself, Oh dear, oh dear, I shall be too late. When she thought it over afterwards, it occurred to her that she ought to have wondered at this, but at the time it all seemed quite natural. But when the rabbit actually took a watch out of its waistcoat pocket and looked at it and then hurried on, Alice started to her feet. For it flashed across her mind that she had never before seen a rabbit with either a waistcoat pocket or a watch to take out of it. And, burning with curiosity, she ran across the field after it and was just in time to see it pop down a large rabbit hole under the hedge. In another moment, down went Alice after it never once considering how in the world she was to get out again. The rabbit hole went straight on like a tunnel for some way and then dipped suddenly down, so suddenly that Alice had not a moment to think about stopping herself before she found herself falling down what seemed to be a very deep well. Either the well was very deep or she fell very slowly, for she had plenty of time as she went down to look about her, and to wonder what was going to happen next. First, she tried to look down and make out what she was coming to, but it was too dark to see anything. Then she looked at the sides of the well and noticed that they were filled with cupboards and bookshelves. Here and there she saw maps and pictures hung upon pegs. She took down a jar from one of the shelves as she passed. It was labeled orange marmalade, but to her great disappointment, it was empty. She did not like to drop the jar for fear of killing somebody underneath, so managed to put it into one of the cupboards as she fell past it. Well, thought Alice to herself, 
After such a fall as this, I shall think nothing of tumbling downstairs. How brave they'll all think me at home. Why, I wouldn't say anything about it even if I fell off the top of the house, which was very likely true. Down, 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 would the fall never come to an end? I wonder how many miles I've fallen by this time, she said aloud. I must be getting somewhere near the center of the earth. Let me see. That would be 4,000 miles down, I think. For, you see, Alice had learnt several things of this sort in her lessons in the schoolroom, and though this was not a very good opportunity for showing off her knowledge, as there was no one to listen to her, still it was good practice to say it over. Yes, that's about the right distance, but then I wonder what latitude or longitude I've got to. Alice had not the slightest idea what latitude was or longitude either, but she thought they were nice, grand words to say. Presently, she began again. I wonder if I shall fall right through the earth. How funny it'll seem to come out among the people that walk with their heads downwards. The antipathies, I think. She was rather glad there was no one listening this time, as it didn't sound at all the right word. But I shall have to ask them what the name of the country is. You know, please, ma'am, is this New Zealand or Australia? And she tried to curtsy as she spoke. Fancy curtsying as you're falling through the air. Do you think you could manage it? And what an ignorant little girl she'll think me for asking. No, it'll never do to ask. Perhaps I shall see it written up somewhere. Down, down, down. There was nothing else to do, so Alice soon began talking again. Dinah'll miss me very much tonight, I should think. Dinah was the cat. I hope they'll remember her saucer of milk at tea time. Dinah, my dear, I wish you were down here with me. There are no mice in the air, I'm afraid, but you might catch a bat, and that's very much like a mouse, you know. But do cats eat bats, I wonder? And here Alice began to get rather sleepy and went on saying to herself in a dreamy sort of way, Do cats eat bats? Do cats eat bats? And sometimes, do bats eat cats? For you see, as she couldn't answer either question, it didn't much matter which way she put it. She felt that she was dozing off and had just begun to dream that she was walking hand in hand with Dinah and was saying to her very earnestly, Now, Dinah, tell me the truth. Did you ever eat a bat? When suddenly, thump, thump, down she came upon a heap of sticks and dry leaves, and the fall was over. Alice was not a bit hurt, and she jumped up onto her feet in a moment. She looked up, but it was all dark overhead. Before her was another long passage, and the white rabbit was still in sight, hurrying down it. There was not a moment to be lost. Away went Alice like the wind, and was just in time to hear it say, as it turned a corner, Oh, my ears and whiskers, how late it's getting! She was close behind it when she turned the corner, but the rabbit was no longer to be seen. She found herself in a long, low hall, which was lit up by a row of lamps hanging from the roof. There were doors all round the hall, but they were all locked, and when Alice had been all the way down one side and up the other, trying every door, 
She walked sadly down the middle, wondering how she was ever to get out again. Suddenly, she came upon a little three-legged table, all made of solid glass. There was nothing on it but a tiny golden key, and Alice's first idea was that this might belong to one of the doors of the hall. But alas, either the locks were too large or the key was too small, but at any rate, it would not open any of them. However, on the second time round, she came upon a low curtain she had not noticed before, and behind it was a little door, about 15 inches high. She tried the little golden key in the lock, and to her great delight, it fitted. Alice opened the door and found that it led into a small passage, not much larger than a rat hole. She knelt down and looked along the passage into the loveliest garden you ever saw. How she longed to get out of that dark hall and wander among those beds of bright flowers and those cool fountains. But she could not even get her head through the doorway. And even if my head would go through, thought poor Alice, it would be of very little use without my shoulders. Oh, how I wish I could shut up like a telescope. I think I could if only I knew how to begin. For, you see, so many out-of-the-way things had happened lately that Alice had begun to think that very few things indeed were really impossible. There seemed to be no use in waiting by the little door, so she went back to the table half hoping she might find another key on it, or at any rate, a book of rules for shutting people up like telescopes. This time she found a little bottle on it, which certainly was not here before, said Alice. And tied round the neck of the bottle was a paper label with the words, Drink Me, beautifully printed on it in large letters. It was all very well to say, Drink Me, but the wise little Alice was not going to do that in a hurry. No, I'll look first, she said, and see whether it's marked poison or not. For she had read several nice little stories about children who had got burnt and eaten up by wild beasts and other unpleasant things, all because they would not remember the simple rules their friends had taught them, such as that a red-hot poker will burn you if you hold it too long, and that if you cut your finger very deeply with a knife, it usually bleeds. And she had never forgotten that if you drink much from a bottle marked poison, it is almost certain to disagree with you sooner or later. However, this bottle was not marked poison. So Alice ventured to taste it and finding it very nice. It had, in fact, a sort of mixed flavor of cherry tart, custard, pineapple, roast turkey, toffee, and hot buttered toast. She very soon finished it off. What a curious feeling, said Alice. I must be shutting up like a telescope. And so it was indeed. She was now only 10 inches high, and her face brightened up at the thought that she was now the right size for going through the little door into that lovely garden. First, however, she waited a few minutes to see if she was going to shrink any further. She felt a little nervous about this, for it might end, you know, said Alice to herself, in my going out altogether like a candle. I wonder what I should look like then. And she tried to fancy what the flame of a candle looks like after the candle is blown out. 
for she could not remember ever having seen such a thing. After a while, finding that nothing more happened, she decided on going into the garden at once. But alas for poor Alice. When she got to the door, she found she had forgotten the little golden key. And when she went back to the table for it, she found she could not possibly reach it. She could see it quite plainly through the glass. She had tried her best to climb up one of the legs of the table, but it was too slippery. And when she had tired herself out with trying, the poor little thing sat down and cried. Come, there's no use in crying like that, said Alice to herself rather sharply. I advise you to leave off this minute. She generally gave herself very good advice, though she very seldom followed it. And sometimes she scolded herself so severely as to bring tears into her eyes. And once she remembered trying to bring box her own ears for having cheated herself in a game of croquet she was playing against herself. For this curious child was very fond of pretending to be two people. But it's no use now, thought poor Alice, to pretend to be two people. Why, there's hardly enough of me left to make one respectable person. Soon her eye fell on a little glass box that was lying under the table. She opened it and found in it a very small cake on which the words eat me were beautifully marked in currants. Well, I'll eat it, said Alice, and if it makes me grow larger, I can reach the key, and if it makes me grow smaller, I can creep under the door, so either way I'll get into the garden, and I don't care which happens. She ate a little bit and said anxiously to herself, which way, which way? Holding her hand on the top of her head to feel which way it was growing. And she was quite surprised to find that she remained the same size, to be sure, this is what generally happens when one eats cake, but Alice had got so much into the way of expecting nothing but out-of-the-way things to happen that it seemed quite dull and stupid for life to go on in the common way. So she set to work and very soon finished off the cake.